you and I are in serious trouble. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. You are guilty of thousands of crimes judged sufficiently heinous to cause your physical death and to lead to an eternity of torment in the lake of fire. You and I are in serious trouble. Romans chapter 3 tells us, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. It goes on four verses later to say, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It goes on three chapters later to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I are in serious trouble. Our mouths are stopped. We cannot excuse ourselves or justify our conduct. And we must appear in court. And the court will be nothing like the little charades on earth. Though they be representative of the power of heaven. Because ordained of God. But the black robed man or woman that sits in judgment there is nothing to be compared to him that sits on the throne in Revelation chapter 20 before whose face the earth and the heaven flee away. And there is found no place for them to hide because all will be exposed to the judge in the courtroom at the appearing you will make. It is appointed unto men once to die, but it is also appointed to men to make the judgment. You're not going to be able to write in like you do to get out of a jury trial. You will make your appearance there. You know about fear and guilt for crimes. When you are driving and you are late and you're going 10 or more miles per hour over and you crest a hill and you see a car that has a few extra accessories on it, you fear. And you let off the accelerator. And you brake. And one of his accessories has a needle that tells him, you have just decelerated in one big hurry. Or digital numbers tell him that. You all know, most of you have lived noble lives, And so you've never been to court. Some of you have been to court on behalf of others. But you ought to be afraid of the terror of the Lord. Because you are going to court. And God will sit as judge. 
And we have just sung songs about him as judge, but we have also sung songs about some pleading that has taken place, is taking place, and will take place. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, especially the blessing of salvation. We have the Lord's table before us today. And as we approach it, let us carefully consider the Savior and the benefit our God has given us. We have been studying Romans chapter 3, the last 11 verses. And we have stopped at verse 24, which says, Being justified. That is a passive verb construction, meaning that you are the object of the justifying work of another. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I'm just simply hung up there. The Lord has hung me up there. And I don't care. And I hope that you won't care with me. I just want to speak simply today about what justification is. I don't want to speak in a way that would ever find itself into a systematic theology. I want to speak in a way that will cause you to sing a little louder the next time we open up a hymnal this day about our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is a legal term. It is a forensic term. It is a term describing a judge declaring someone no longer guilty. But the justification taught in the Bible, as I have taught you, is better than that. It's not just that God has declared us not guilty. It's that God has declared us as righteous as His Son, Jesus Christ the righteous. You are guilty and condemned to die. Do you know how I can prove it? Exactly, brother. Your body is going to die, showing that you are guilty of crimes that deserve far more than just physical death. You are going to stand before God naked in your soul and spirit. You'll be reunited to your body. And you will stand before God, three parts of you, and the books will be opened. You're guilty. Your mouth is shut. You're condemned before God. You face a whole lot more punishment than just physical death. You face eternal torment in hell. There is a prosecuting attorney. He made his appearance in the Garden of Eden. He is a crafty attorney. He knew the law of God better than our first parents. And he seduced our first parents into breaking the law so that they became criminals guilty of a crime, the punishment of which was death. And so the prosecuting attorney had the claim of death from a court and a judge that is always righteous and that is always just and must punish 
the criminal. This courtroom has such simple statements as, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In Job chapter 1, the prosecuting attorney makes another appearance. In Job chapter 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. That is the prosecuting attorney. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He's one of your brothers. He is one of your fathers. And the Lord was bragging about one of your fathers. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? The prosecuting attorney opened his mouth and pointed out that there were circumstances in Job's life that he believed were the cause of Job's apparent righteousness. And that if those circumstances were taken away from Job, then Job would curse God to his face. That's a prosecuting attorney telling the judge in heaven, this man's a fraud. You have an enemy. And he knows the law of God better than you will ever know it. And he knows God better than you will know him until you're glorified. At least in his righteousness and his justice. The prosecuting attorney knows that God cannot acquit or clear guilty criminals. He must punish them. He knows that that God does not respect righteousness based on natural blessings. And so he argues in court before the judge of all against Job. Job passes the first test. And in chapter 2 of the book of Job, there was another day when the sons of God came to present themselves. Those are the angels, my children. And Satan came among them. And the Lord said, where have you been? And he said, I've been going to and fro in the earth. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? That though we've taken away everything he had, he still worships me. Satan answered the Lord, this is the prosecuting attorney, and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. A prosecuting attorney got our first parents. A prosecuting attorney tried to get Job. I turn over to the book of Zechariah, and I condense the Bible for you this day. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. The Lord, don't you don't need to turn, listen. He showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. The prosecuting attorney was there to resist Joshua, the high priest, among the Jews that had regathered themselves out of Babylon and come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the worship of God in the city of God. 
There was the prosecuting attorney to resist the priest of the Most High God, who was Joshua for this generation. But the greatest foe, the greatest enemy that you have, and I don't care whether you want to call him, metaphorically, Father Time or the Grim Reaper, He's walking around this building and he's got your name in his dossier of who he needs to cut down. Death is clutching at you. Death is waiting for you. The jaws of death are open wide to swallow you. And it is the justice of God and his perfect righteousness that will cast you down. That is the greatest enemy of a natural man is the justice and righteousness of a holy God who must punish sin and sinners. You need a lawyer! Most of you have lived noble lives and so you don't know about hiring a lawyer. You need an attorney. You better hire yourself an attorney because you are going to court And you are guilty of crimes. And they are considerably worse in the terror that is going to face you than driving 15 miles an hour over and cresting a hill and seeing a sheriff or a state trooper. You need a lawyer or an attorney to change this judge's mind about you. Because right now, it is pure legal work It's in the books of heaven. It's in the law. You must die. And after death, you must face the holy judge of all and be condemned to an eternal torment in the lake of fire. You need a lawyer. You may have talked your way out of some punishments here on earth. And you may not have talked your way out of some punishments here on earth. But you will not influence this judge at all. The books show you with thousands of crimes... They show me with thousands of crimes. It goes to the section about obeying and honoring parents. And the book has opened about me. And I have disobeyed my parents repeatedly. I have dishonored my parents repeatedly. I have lied to my parents. I have cursed my parents. I have rebelled against my parents. I have shamed my parents. I have hurt my parents. I have despised my parents. And the pages are turning. And the crimes are great, and the crimes are many. And God, the judge of all, defends all parents. And He will cast me down into hell. The proceedings of God's court are impeccably just and according to the law. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, we have learned in our study of this epistle, For there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you were in the Cub Scouts. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God sits as judge and we shall make a court appearance. Poor Job. 
He felt the work of the prosecuting attorney and the justice of God. And so he cried out in Job 16 and verse 21, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. Exclamation point. Job knew that he or other noble men could go before the judges of their land and plead for a neighbor who was being falsely accused of a crime. Job knew that. And so Job cried out, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God. Oh, that there was a man, someone to plead with God for me. David knew that there had been pleadings on his behalf in heaven. I want you to know that God is judge of all, and he has a law, and you have broken it, And so there is much written in the Bible from the beginning to the end about legal justice being executed against criminals. And so it's a common theme in the Bible. And we call it justification. I'm trying to make it simple for you. I want us to delight in the doctrine of justification without getting caught up in the dryness of simply the scholastic study of words and their meanings. I want you to think upon the reality of it. David knew about pleadings. He said in 1 Samuel 25 and 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. One verse. David knew that God had pleaded for him in heaven against Nabal, and that God's pleadings had done two things. It had resulted in Nabal's death, Because David was worth 10,000 Nabals. Second, that God's pleadings for David had resulted in God arranging providential circumstances to keep David back from blotting his character by chopping Nabal in pieces, as he intended to do. Third, that the timing was good for another wife. That isn't part of the pleading. But David took the wife because God took away her husband and left her a widow. But notice that David refers to the pleading of God. There's pleading that takes place in heaven because God is a judge. We just need someone that can go do some pleading for us. Because your pleading is worthless, you criminal wretch. And I'm right there with you. We deserve to die. In Lamentations. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, you need not turn there. Listen to the words. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah understood that pleading had been done for him. Lamentations 3.58, O Lord, Thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. Jeremiah was preserved. When Nebuchadnezzar brought his army 500 miles from Babylon... 
and surrounded the city of Jerusalem and tore it to the ground. He made inquiry and said, I want Jeremiah brought to me. I've been told there's a prophet of God here named Jeremiah. Bring him to me. And Jeremiah was given leave to live wherever he wanted. And to have anything he wanted. By Nebuchadnezzar. Who was as familiar with mercy as the Pope of Rome is with Bible baptism. Lamentations 3.58 O Lord, Thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. Praise God that there is some pleading going on in heaven. But that's the Old Testament, and you brethren know that things get better as we keep turning pages to the right in these Bibles of ours. Every page you turn to the right, things get better. In Genesis chapter 2, in the first six verses of chapter 3, things are very bleak as our first parents sin and bring upon them the curse of death. But if you just keep turning to the right, all you have to do is get to the 15th verse of that third chapter and you'll find a promise of the seed of the woman, a male seed, a son that is going to come and give that devil and that serpent, Satan himself, a fatal wound to the head. And we just keep turning our Bibles to the right. You do not want, nor can you have, a trial by jury. It would fail God's just standards. A trial by jury is a ridiculous and insane concept. But that is not the point of this message. I just had to get that out. It's ridiculous and insane because there is nothing like it in the Bible. Give me a judge with an IQ above room temperature rather than 12 people with IQs of room temperature sitting in a room wanting to argue and see who's going to be the most important in their recollection of stuff they can't even understand. You do not want nor can you have a trial by jury. It would fail God's just standards. Juries are a travesty of justice. Because justice is absolutely black and white, applied by an infinite mind. And it's the God of heaven. God would reject the convoluted thinking of your peers, because the convoluted thinking of your peers, no matter if there were 5, 12, or 12,000, mean nothing to Him. And they would damn you anyway, once they heard everything you've done. If your peers ever heard everything you've thought and everything you've said and everything you've done, they'd cast you to hell faster than you can imagine. I'd be in front of you that we would all be cast there. We're still turning to the right. Isaiah 53 and verse 12 tells me this about some man that was coming. That the Ethiopian eunuch didn't know whether it was Isaiah or some other man. Philip explained that to him. But it says in the last verse of Isaiah 53, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. There is a great man coming, according to Isaiah 53:12, And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He's a strong man. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. 
And so ends Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. He made intercession for the transgressors. We keep turning to the right, and we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I know it's to the left of 53. I do remember my number line from the first grade. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. And his name shall be called Counselor. What does a judge call attorneys and lawyers? His name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. The Bible doesn't have the words lawyer or attorney. But it's got the word intercessor, doesn't it? Isaiah 53. It's got the word counselor, doesn't it? Isaiah 9, 6. I turn to 1 John 2, 2. And we are turning to the right. I turn to 1 John 2. And I read these words. 1 John chapter 2. My little children... These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible doesn't have the word lawyer or attorney, but it's got intercessor. It's got counselor. It's got advocate. Oh, yes! Without an intercessor. And without a counselor, and without an advocate, you are in serious trouble. You are in eternal trouble. You are in for the greatest amount of pain poured out upon you far beyond what you can imagine. But the Bible's telling us something. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we have these words. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. The Bible doesn't have the word lawyer or attorney, but it's got the word intercessor, counselor, advocate, and mediator. Is that good enough for the comfort of your soul? I'm only getting started. Is that good enough? That's precious. There is a great man. There is a strong man. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And the increase of his government, there shall be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Isaiah 9 and verse 7. He is our advocate and he is our mediator. We will make an appearance in court, but we will have an intercessor. We will have a counselor. We will have an advocate and a mediator. And if he knows you, he will argue on your behalf. He will plead on your behalf. If he doesn't know you, he will tell you so to your face. And you have never imagined anything like him. And he will say to your face, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Lord, Lord, don't you remember all the great things we did for you? I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. 
Look at Galatians chapter 3. Moses was a mediator. Do you know that? Do you know that? Moses was a mediator. He brought the law down from heaven, written with the finger of God, and gave it to Israel. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. Thou shalt. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Only 617 precepts of the law. Verse 20 of Galatians 3. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. There is God, there is you, and there's someone in between if there's a mediator. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. We want verse 19, I'm sorry. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That is Moses. The law of God was given on Mount Sinai by angels that God sent down from heaven and put into the hands of Moses and given to Moses, and Moses is a mediator. And the Jews run to Mount Sinai thinking that Moses is going to deliver them from the wrath of Almighty God. And that is why we have the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and a couple chapters of Ephesians and Philippians to correct Jewish legalists from thinking that there is any hope in Moses. Moses was a mediator. The text tells us that. He's the one that brought the law of God down from heaven and gave it to Israel. But he never won a case. He never won a single case. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Moses never won a single case of pleading or arguing on behalf of a sinner. Moses was petrified of the judge. The judge terrified Moses. We we can read about it in Hebrews 12, and I'll read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 12, just before those verses I read to you to open up our worship this day, Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. They could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. This is all from Exodus 19 and 20. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Do you want a counselor that's terrified of the judge? When a judge has been assigned to your case, and in this situation, we know the judge that has been assigned to our case. It's Almighty God. But when you know the judge assigned to a criminal or a civil case, you want an attorney or a lawyer that has experience with that judge and is known by that judge, and knows that judge's methods, knows that judge's temperament, knows that judge's precedence, knows what that judge appreciates in a hearing. Do you want Moses representing you? He's petrified of that judge, and he's never won a case. 
And he was guilty of contempt of court. Because he beat a rock one time when he was supposed to speak to the rock by order of the court. Do you want him as your mediator? Are you grasping justification? Do you want to run to Mount Sinai and embrace Moses? You can run that way. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. There's a whole lot more we got to cover before we get to that. Moses is not where we turn. Moses was a mediator, but he never won a case. The judge petrified him, and he was guilty of contempt of court. Go read the terminology in Numbers chapter 20. You did not sanctify me before the children of Israel. You will never get into the promised land. You want that man representing you? We need a better intercessor, counselor, advocate, and mediator than Moses. I have one for you. I have one that said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise, I will in no wise cast out. There is a lawyer for your crime and for your crimes, for your thousands of crimes, that has never rejected a criminal seeking to obtain his services. That comes sincerely believing on him. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. This lawyer, in the very next verse, as he was speaking about being a counselor, said about those that the Father had given him, he said in the next verse, John six thirty eight, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This lawyer, for your crime, guarantees not to lose one of his clients. Sound good so far? I will never turn away a criminal that comes to me. And John 6 defines what it means coming to him. We'll get to that before the day's over. And I will lose none of them, but I will raise up every single one that comes to me and obtains my services. He is the great one. He is the strong one from Isaiah 53 and the 12th verse. Moses knew the judge a little. Abraham had never heard the name Jehovah. Our God revealed himself to Moses as Jehovah. And God told Moses, I've revealed myself to you more than I did Abraham. Abraham only knew me as God Almighty. I've revealed myself to you as I am that I am. So Moses knew God a little. But what about... Jesus, that said, I will not cast anyone out looking for my services. 
and I will lose none of them. Did he know the judge? He is his only begotten son. He is his well-beloved son. And when this judge utters his voice from the bench, it sounds like this when the lawyer is there. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you want an attorney like that? Where the judge says, the attorney is my son. And he's not just any son, he's my only son. He's just not an only son, he's my only begotten son. And he's my well-beloved son. Praise the Lord of heaven. You're going to meet the dread God of the universe, but you're going to meet Him with His well-beloved and only begotten Son standing between you and an eternity in hell. It's this lawyer's knowledge of God and His law that justifies many. Isaiah 53 and 11. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. It's Jesus Christ's knowledge of the will of God and the law of God that justifies men. Look at John chapter 11. Will the great judge hear the Lord Jesus Christ? In John chapter 11 and verse 42, Jesus said to God, the judge of all, I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the reason we're reading this verse is for you to believe that God, the Judge of all, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be your intercessor, counselor, advocate, and mediator. And God always hears Him. Verse 42 of John 11, I knew that Thou hearest me always. When you hire an attorney, you would like one that can sympathize with your crimes. He may have been guilty of them himself. He may have represented others that were guilty of your crime. He may be a specialist in the field of defense that you need by your defense attorney or your lawyer. How about the Lord Jesus Christ? He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. All points. You say, he could not understand the depths of my iniquity. All points. So that he is able to succor, S-U-C-C-O-U-R, them that are tempted. That word means to help. He is able to go and represent sinners because he was tempted in all points like as they were and they are, yet he did not sin and commit any crimes. That is stated to us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, where it says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. How would you like an attorney representing you that thinks you even being tempted to commit the crimes that you committed is horrible. It's heinous. It's ridiculous. It's perverse. Or would you like an attorney that was tempted in all points like as you are, 
yet without sin. Is the attorney able to pay a price on your behalf to redeem you from your trouble? Can he pay a fine for you? In 1 Peter chapter 1 it says this, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Is he able to pay a fine? Is he able to buy you out of trouble? Is he able to bring something of value to the bench to cause the judge to release you? It is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself, he shed his blood, and the Bible tells me in Isaiah 53 verses 10 and 11, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, but he saw the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Divine justice can be satisfied. God can be satisfied. All His anger against you can be taken away. All the claims of the law against you can be taken away. Purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. And then in Hebrews 9 and verse 14, which I hope you read last evening, and this is all that we have in this assembly, there's just as much to come. Hebrews 9 and verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Your intercessor, your counselor, your advocate, your mediator, went into the presence of God and offered His life. After having laid it down, and then taking it up again, but having died... And submitting himself to death, he went into the presence of God and offered himself as the payment for your sins. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. This is why the Bible was written. This is the record that God has given of his son. There is a judge. God created man and put him in this world with one simple commandment to keep. We broke that commandment. We brought death upon the entire race. That is why everyone dies. We know the source of death, though the evolutionists do not. We know the source of death. It's the punishment for sin. But after death is the judgment, and after judgment is the second death. But there is an intercessor. There is a counselor, an advocate, and a mediator. And it's not Moses. And it's not the Pope of Rome. And it's not Mary, the mother of God, as the Catholics blasphemously say. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And He is a perfect intercessor, counselor, advocate, and mediator. He offered Himself not to criminals, but He offered Himself to the judge of all. And He was accepted because the judge is the one that bruised Him. The judge is the one that pounded Him. The judge is the one that told Him to lay down His life. The judge is the one that would not let him out of dying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the judge was satisfied with the travail of his soul for you and me. Praise God. More to come. I just want you refreshed 
so that we can look at it further. And then we will sit at a table and we will remember that we have a Savior in heaven who is our intercessor, counselor, advocate, and mediator. And he will lose none that come unto God by him. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.